Hey there, mystery thriller readers. This one is for you. We are giving away the 10 best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far to one lucky Book Riot reader or podcast listener. The prize pack includes Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, The Lost Man by Jane Harper, American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash bestmysteries to enter to win. And don't forget to leave the lights on. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Kidlet These Days, a Book Riot podcast. Kidlet These Days is your Kidlet connoisseurs pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Karina Yan Glazer alongside Matthew Winner, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on September 11th, 2019. Hey, Matthew. Hi, Karina. How are you? You know, it was it was a a mixed day. <laughs> I had a really really fun time at my school uh-huh. and I definitely was reflecting as I think many many of us were today on September 11th of, of where I was. Where were you? Where I was. Were you um, in Maryland? I was in co- I was in in Maryland. I was at college mm-hmm. and I was going over with my girlfriend at the time to the library. Um, as we did during that study time, just to check the internet, check our email in the basement, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, there was a TV on in the lobby and, mm. um, it just, it just brings me back. And this is, as I was reflecting, being that it's the 18th year, uh, I realized in school that I'm teaching children and that our entire school has children that have never, that, that were not alive when this happened. Mm-hmm that this is in the past for them. And, and I, and I found, I found the exercise of, of remembering and talking to children about remembering to be something that, that, that gave me a lot of fuel today. Mm-hmm. How about you? Were you going through some reflection today? I assume. Yeah, every year. Um, so I was, um, I was about a mile away from the, Twin Towers when they were hit. I was walking to work, and so I was crossing um, over Fifth Avenue, which has um, an avenue that that looks all the way down to where the towers are. So as I was crossing, um, I saw a bunch of people looking downtown, and I looked in that direction, and there's you know a huge hole in Tower One, and as I was staring at it we saw the plane go into tower two and, and yeah, I just remember just being very confused and, and then I had to walk all the way home because the subways were turned, you know, were shut down mm. and I lived, um, up on 200 street. <laughs> so it was a very long walk. I didn't get home until evening yeah. and, you know, just walking with crowds of New Yorkers, a lot of them who were coming from the site. And actually, my husband, we hadn't met at that point, but he was at the second tower, and they evacuated that tower 
very quickly, and thankfully he got out safely. But wow. every September 11th, I sent him a little note. And we actually went to see that Broadway musical, Come From Away, recently, which is about mm. the events of September 11th um, in this town in Canada, where a lot of the planes mm. that um, were supposed to come into American airspace were rerouted. And that also gave us a lot of, a lot to talk about um, after. It was a lot of processing after watching that about that time and where we were but yeah it's it's a sad day september 11th every year to pair that with with our future with with our children and and us looking ahead and and also keeping a foot in the past to, to to pull us together we had it at this new school where i am at mcdonough um they have this annual tradition in the lower school of having Aquapalooza, which is sort of the second half of the day, the entire school, pre-K to four, just has a a water day outside Mm. where they put these tarps out, three different tarps on on hills that get steeper and steeper as the kids get older. Um, So the the pre-K and kindergarten were on this one hill right outside the school, and the um, first and second were a little bit further down where the, the, the... incline was a little steeper and then I was with the third and fourth graders um, and it was quite a steep hill and they were also <laughs> not only running sprinklers over the tarps but they were um, soaping the tarps. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it Make was it extra uh, I, should, I should just put in that of course I went down. Um, oh, I... Many of the teachers go down and it was it was fun and there were cheers and there was a lot of laughter and it just it felt really good to be close to the kids to be uh, part of that community, to be part of something. Uh, we're only at the third week into the school year, and it just felt like family. Yeah. And I really, that that was something that was a great comfort today, just to, f- to feel the closeness of the people around me. Yeah. That sounds like such a great school. And I'm really... I can't wait for you to visit. Yes. You're going to come down one day. I it's going to be that. awesome. Well, <laughs> before we jump into our topic of the podcast... I'd like to bring to you our sponsor. This episode of Kidlet These Days is sponsored by Malamander. And that is a book, and it's about um, a town called Erie on Sea, and it's winter. And the mist is thick, and the salt spray is rattling the windows of the Grand Nautilus Hotel. The town legend of the Malamander, a part fish, part human monster, whose egg is said to make dreams come true is rearing its scaly head as various townspeople some good-hearted some nefarious reveal themselves to be monster hunters on the sly can herbert and violet elude them and discover what happened to violet's kin this book was a much talked about middle grade novel at this year's book expo and is the first book in a trilogy the next one is coming out next year in 2020 this is perfect for readers who love a fantasy with a strong sense of place and a colorful cast of characters. And I have to say, the cover is quite incredible. It's this, oh, is it cool? It is very cool. It's sort of like this um, like an intense look at this monster's eye. And oh, nice. yeah, it's, it's, I can see a lot of kids wanting to read this book. 
The description you shared taps into one of my greatest fears, which is also why kids would read the book, which is what lurks beneath the water. You know, <laughs> I do not like. <laughs> my imagination is already running wild, and I'm like, I'll just look at the cover. That'll be great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have that fear too. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just so that's unknown. Awesome. It's dark. Yeah. <laughs> you can't see. <laughs> oh my well, that's gosh. fun, that's and it's funny. neat that it's going to be a trilogy too. That's cool. I'll have to I'll have to look at the cover. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, today you and I wanted to talk about banned books. So, Banned Books Week is something that the American Library Association um, likes to do usually in the last week of September. So, this year it's September 22nd through the 28th. It's an annual event celebrating the freedom to read, and it spotlights current and historical attempts to censor books in libraries and schools. It brings together the entire book community, librarians, booksellers, publishers, journalists, teachers, and readers of all types, in shared support of the freedom to to seek and to express ideas, even those some consider unorthodox or unpopular. And that um, is from the American Library Association website. We'll link to that in the show notes. And I was just sort of looking around, poking around that website, and they group these banned books in different ways. So you can look at them by year, you can look at them by decade. So I was just sort of browsing through and seeing in the past decade, um, from 2000 to 2009, which ones sort of stood out to me. And number one was Harry Potter, um, which I thought was interesting, um, by Jake. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, this woman named J.K. Rowling wrote it. Um, <laughs> wouldn't you love if I said, I-, I never read it, but I saw the movie. You'd love that, wouldn't you? I'd be like, I cannot no. do this podcast with you. <laughs> Sorry. Um yeah, so that was the number one band book. Um, another one, number f- from that decade. I wonder if it'll yeah. hold into this decade because at the end of or in, at the end of this year, when we turn over to twenty twenty, we'll get the th- next batch. The, yeah, they'll release the twenty nineteen challenge books, and we'll also get that decade in review. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if it holds somewhere in in the top, probably top ten. Yeah, but go ahead. I agree. You, you I mean, it's such more. a popular book. I mean. I feel like the more visibility a book gets, mm-hmm. the more um, sort of eyes are on it to sort of pick it apart. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So also in that decade, 2000 to 2009, number four was a picture book called And Tango Makes Three by Justin Richardson and Peter Parnell, illustrated by Henry Cole. This is a book about two penguins living at the Central Park Zoo. I found it super charming, but I think there was um, challenges to it because these two penguins were male and they sort of adopted a baby penguin. People had questions about, I guess, that message. But I thought this was funny, too. This is totally unrelated to banned books, but um, Amazon, you know how Amazon will... Um, sort of have these genres <laughs> like this is the sure. number one new release in this genre <laughs> so I, when I was looking at that book just to make sure I had like the authors and the illustrator correct it was it was coming up as the number one bestseller in tango dancing so I thought that was interesting because <laughs> despite tango being the name <laughs> of, the, of penguin. the baby penguin for those that have not read it so I was like tango oh, dancing no yeah I bet it's holding tango dancing for a while too well done. I believe, too, this is a book that we read 
um, and we discussed when I was in library school. So it's been a while ago. Yeah. Um, but I believe, if I if I recall, that there's a note in the back saying, while this is a work of fiction, it is based on true events. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right in Central Park. Um, yeah. And then I was also looking and just sort of seeing that a lot of Newberry winners were challenged, which... I think that's pretty common because, you know, the more eyes that are on a book, the more it's likely to be challenged or questioned. So number 28 was Bridge to Terabithia by Katherine Patterson. And then number 66 was Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred D. Taylor. And both of those books were Newbery winners. The Bridge to Terabithia won in 1978 and Roll of Thunder won in 1977. How about another Newbery winner? The Higher Power of Lucky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you remember why that book was challenged? It was one word. Scrotum. I do not remember that. Because it mentions the dog Scrotum. It's it's such a fantastic series, too. I love that series. But that was also right at that time when I was in library school and we were reading these Uh these challenge books. Yeah, wonderful. To hear how different... What different reasons books become challenged. Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, uh, I'm going to guess is because of... Um, the language. Either some of the language or because of the, the violence. Yeah. There's a couple of violent scenes. What Bridge I saw was, without um, a doubt. Roll of Thunder, what I saw was it was mostly challenged for the language surrounding race. Um, but, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that one later. But yeah. Great. But Bridge to Terabithia. And Bridge to Terabithia, I assume, is because of, of death. So that one, I was looking that up, and it was language, um, especially around the word, the use of the word Lord as, like, uh, exclamation, which I thought was interesting. Um, Like the, like the, uh, the, the phrase of of using the Lord's name in vain? Yeah, so, like, something happens and then someone says, oh, Lord, or, yeah. Another thing about that book that people were saying, you know how the premise of the book is these two kids sort of create their imaginary world, and I think other people, you know, people who were challenging it were saying that they were concerned that this world was, like, an atheistic world. Which is interesting because Catherine Patterson is actually married to a, or was, you know, I think her husband passed away, but um, he was a minister. And I think also her father or her parents were missionaries. So I think that sort of puzzled her (laughs) when it was getting challenged because of those religious reasons. That's interesting. Yeah. And I love also that you sort of never have it the other way. It's never like we're banning the Chronicles of Narnia series because it's too closely related it's too um christian allegory for us so we want to like it never goes the other way yeah um Mm -hmm. i want to before we get into our guest and before we get into well i should say before we get into book talking that really the books we're talking about are things that we all can be reading and exploring and 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 thinking about in in our libraries and, and with our our children but to review the most recent list that ala has released which is the um, top, it's actually the top 11 most challenged books of 2018. Um, this comes from the ALA Office for Intellectual Freedom. They keep track of a lot of work and they also advocate for libraries. They tracked 347 challenges to library, school, and university materials and services in 2018. So this is a lot of what is reported to them. Uh, and of the 483 books challenged or banned in 2018, um, I'm going to go uh, from the 11th 
to the number one, and I'll try to give really quick synopses of why the books were challenged. Some of these may be more obvious or maybe books that uh, those listening, you might have had these challenged in your spaces as well. Um, number 11 is Two Boys Kissing by David Levithan. For, um, for, um, well, it was challenged and burned. This, this book has been challenged and burned for including LGBTQIA content. A picture book called This Day in June by Gail E. Pittman and illustrated by Christina Litton that we... I'll talk about it later in our episode, but we, I think, I think we talked about this on our, um, small publishers episode because this is published by imagination press. Yes. Uh, That was challenged also, um, challenged and burned for LGBTQIA content. Uh, the absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian by Sherman Alexi for sexual references, profanity, violence, gambling, underage drinking, um, religious viewpoints, uh, number eight was Skippy John Jones series written and illustrated by Judy Shashner because of depicting stereotypes of Mexican culture, which ties into a theme that you and I talked about on the very mm-hmm. first episode of Kid Lit these days. Yes. Number seven is This One Summer by Mariko Tamaki and illustrated by Jillian Tamaki. Uh, this is challenged. This uh, is a Caldecott uh, honor book, and it was banned or challenged for profanity, sexual references, certain illustrations. Um, and I'd be willing to bet that a lot of these challenges came from elementary schools that bought it because they're like, hey, it's got a Caldecott. It belongs in our elementary school library. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we looked at this book, it was reviewed for, for an older audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so having <laughs> keeping that in mind also is good to have in the back of your head. Number six was 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher because of addressing teen suicide. Number five, the book that all of my students will tell you is their favorite, Drama, <laughs> written and illustrated by Raina Telgemeier. I have not met um, a kid who does not love that book. Doesn't like that book. Um, it does take place in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have elementary school kids reading it, but that is challenged for LGBTQIA characters and themes. Um, moving up the list to the number four challenge book is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Uh, and this book was deemed, in the challenge, it was deemed anti-cop for its profanity, drug use, and sexual references. Number three, this has been banned for as long as I've been a librarian, Captain Underpants series, written and illustrated by Dave Pilkey, for all the reasons, but uh, for encouraging disruptive behavior. Um, it was challenged because uh, in um, book number, it might be number seven, Captain Underpants and the Sensational Saga of Sir Stinks-A-Lot. Uh, it includes a same-sex couple. Number two uh, is A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo by Jill Twist, illustrated by E.G. Keller, and uh, made famous on the the Stephen Colbert's show, right? Um, it was I the other one. It it's, uh, Oliver, um, what's his first Oh, Jamie name? Oliver's yeah. podcast? That's it's, what it was. It's the, um, last for... night tonight, or last week tonight or La- something. All right. But, yeah. yeah. Last week tonight. Um, challenge for including LGBTQIA content and for political and religious viewpoints. And then the number one book challenged in 2018, uh, is George by Alex Gino. A book about a trans child. Banned, challenged, relocated because it was believed to encourage children. Uh, it was believed to be encouraging children 
to clear browser history. I thought that was so interesting because it, it was so to, specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to change their bodies using hormones and for mentioning, quote, dirty magazines describing male anatomy, uh, quote, creating confusion and including a transgender character. So very, very specific points. And I'm not trying to criticize people that are challenging this book, but I will say that when taken as a whole, those elements are are all key parts of the exploration the character goes through in the story. But um, I digress. We have a lot of ground to cover. Yes. <laughs> and um, I will say that um, there's a great video that ALA made um, that you can share in your libraries or classrooms or on social media that we will link to of these top 11 books um, with great graphics and great points as to why uh, they were challenged. And, and again, it'll be in our show notes at bookriot.com slash listen and find episode number 14 of Kidlet these days. When I was looking at all this material about banned books, I was also looking at some articles from different publications about banned books and whether your kids should read banned books. And there's a website that I go to a lot called commonsensemedia.org. And I like it. Well, actually, my husband was the one who first found it because it it reviews not just books, but also television shows or movies. And I and movies, yeah. So yeah. I happen to be someone who's super sensitive to graphic images in movies or television. So he often will go on to that website to check for me <laughs> whether he thinks I'm going to be okay watching a certain movie because I'm so sensitive to. Um, anything related to like child abuse or any kind of violence or um, murder, like all that stuff. Just I just like can't sleep at night. But anyway, so I go to so I went to this website, commonsensemedia.org, and there was this really interesting article that was titled "Why Your Kids Should Read Banned Books." And I'm just going to read a portion of what the article says. And it starts, there's more to a book than the swear words in it. Many books have been banned for a language that your kid has encountered before or will soon. Even potty humor, like in Captain Underpants, has caused people to call for a ban. Banned books often deal with subjects that are realistic, timely, and topical. Young people might find a character going through exactly what they are, which makes it a powerful reading experience and helps the reader sort out thorny issues like grief, divorce, sexual assault, bullying, prejudice, and sexual identity. Controversial books are a type of virtual reality, exploring complex topics like sexuality, violence, substance abuse, suicide, and racism through well-drawn characters lets kids contemplate morality and vast aspects of the human condition, build empathy for people unlike themselves, and possibly discover a mirror of their own experience. Reading a challenged book is a learning experience and can help your kids define their own values and opinions of its content. And... When ALA is is encouraging us to celebrate banned books, what they are also emphasizing that I, I don't I want to just make sure that we're clear on this is that uh, these books are often taken out because of fear or judgment on behalf of of a child on that parent's child. It's a decision being made that affects all children, but is often being made uh, from with one child in mind. Uh, when we, as librarians or, or p- 
parents or teachers choose to remove a book from a collection, we're denying access of that book to those children. But we're also attaching shame to the content of that book. Mm. We're saying it's shameful to be queer or it's shameful to laugh at potty humor or to... um, It's shameful to discuss teen suicide. It's shameful to discuss these things. We need to, as ALA emphasizes, shine a light on these things and be there to help to help show the way for our students to have conversations and to allow these books to help children be seen and to see one another and to build empathy as Common Sense Media is also emphasizing for us. So we thought for this episode it would be great to connect with someone in the field who might encounter challenge books regularly and talk to us about how to approach banned books and why banned books should be celebrated. Joining us today is Sonali Kumar, a school librarian in Washington, D.C. She blogs at The Unschooled Librarian, a website she shares, quote, was born of a need to compile and develop my thoughts about libraries, school media centers, books, technology, the International Baccalaureate, and my professional development. Sonali continues, my experiences as a learner and educator have instilled a deep belief in lifelong learning and a commitment to a different kind of growth through personal inquiry, passion, project-based learning, and art experiences. Please welcome our guest, Sonali Kumar. Hello, my name is Sonali Kumar, and I am a middle and upper school librarian at the Murray School, an independent school in Washington, D.C., Hi, Sonali. I'm so glad that our mutual buddy, Sylvie, introduced us. Me too. I'm excited for this conversation. Yay. So, uh, Karina and I, in this episode of Kidlet These Days, we are talking about banned books because Banned Books Week is upon us. So I'd love to be able to ask a fellow librarian, why, in your experience, do people challenge books? And what does it look like for a book to be challenged in your library? So I think that book challenges happen for a very simple reason, which is that there's some fear and potentially some ignorance around the content of the book, and also a little bit of fear about what kids should know and what they can know, right? So most of the books that we'll see on ALA's top most challenged list have to do with sexuality or gender identity. I mean, there's still some books that are about, um, you know, political or religious viewpoints. But I think that there are adults who still think that kids don't have access to the kinds of information they have online. And so challenging or banning a book is how you keep that information from them. In terms of... How, you know, like what a challenge looks like in my library, I'll be honest in saying that I haven't had a book banned in my library ever. And I've had um, book challenges happen sort of in sideways kind of ways. Um, And that for me, I think that a strong collection development policy is core. You know, uh, for those of us who went to library school, you probably had to write one during your master's program. And I have actually found mine to be an essential instrument 
in communicating to all of the different stakeholders in my library, to kids, to faculty, to parents, to the administration, about what it is that we do with books and materials in the library, how we choose them, and what happens when someone has a question about what's going to happen. So keeping that in mind, that you have this selection process uh, and a process for if a book gets challenged or questioned or or whatever, uh, what things do you consider when you're ordering a book for your collection? What what uh, sort of guidelines are you following? And would a concern about challenges to the book prevent you or influence you in any way from purchasing that book for your library? You know, I think that um, like many library professionals, that we depend on three things in terms of purchasing materials. We depend on our own knowledge of our collection. You know, we read the books that we have. If we are coming new into a library, you Getting to know your collection is, I think, one of the most important tasks you need to do that first year. And then your knowledge of authors, author trends. And then we depend both on review journals and on the information that publishers provide. So those are the three places that I feel like I um, use to that influence me when I'm making purchasing. I mean, but I've also been in situations where materials were sort of handed to me or gifted to me. And then that's when my collection development policy really came in hand. Um, After the Charlie Hebdo attack in Paris, the terrorist attack in 2015, a group of very well-intentioned parents decided to purchase, as a show of solidarity, a subscription for Charlie Hebdo for my school library, which was a sixth grade through 12th grade library. And if you're familiar with the publication, it is quite inflammatory. It's mostly political cartoons. And so while I was both extremely grateful to be the recipient of this gift, and I knew that there were educators in the high school who could use the periodical in their classroom setting, I had to start a conversation with my senior administration about how this was not the right place for the library, for the magazine to live. Like, it shouldn't be publicly available in the library, and we needed to find another space for that. And I think that's where my collection policy really came in handy, because I could say, this is what's, these are the kinds of materials that we say we buy, and this is how we intend to use those materials. So in an elementary school library, um, well, maybe it's maybe it's sort of the same. I know ways that I've talked to students about um, books that might be challenged by parents or books that might be right for um, some families, but but some um, families might object to them is sort of the way we tend to approach it. That not all books in this library are for every reader or for every family, right. but that every book has a right to be here. How do you, you're working with a little bit older students than I'm working with. How do you talk to students about challenged books? Yeah, I mean, so in my current position, I work with a lot of middle schoolers. So grades five through eight. So they are 10 at the beginning of the school year. They're extremely adorable. Um, And they are stepping into a middle and high school library. So it's grades five through 12. And while we separate out our middle school fiction and from the high school fiction, and we actually separate out our middle school graphic novels from the high school graphic novels, kids have the freedom to check out anything that they want in my library. Um, And so I think this is where knowing your collection and 
trying as much as possible to develop strong relationships with parents um, is so important because I, especially right now in September, have no idea what what family might find certain kinds of materials objectionable. And so in my first couple library classes, I always mention to children, you can check out anything in this library. There are going to be things that have material that your parents might not be okay with. So I will try to inform you if I think that something has subject matter that might not be appropriate for someone your age, or it has something that might be a little bit controversial. And I try to make an agreement with my students that I will give them this information and they will go home and let the adults in their life know, hey, Miss Kumar says that maybe I should let you look at this before I read it. And that I think is a way to sort of mitigate any possible concern. Um, but surprises happen all the time. So hopefully, you know, early in the school year, you find ways to connect with families, you find ways to connect with teachers and administrators in your school, so that in case an incident arises, you have a series of actions in place. I was just going to say that it all feeds back to your selection process. It's all a cycle. I like that you're emphasizing how your students, it's their library. You can get any book you want in this library, but I want you to think about that choice and think about whether it's not, whether it is or is not the right one for you. And I think that when we do that, Sonali, you would agree that it just saves space for the kid to use their own judgment for you to pick it up and look yes, through it or read it and, and say, I'm not ready for this yet. Right. And yeah, nine times out of good. 10, when I tell a kid that, hey, this book might have some adult material, they will self-select to not check that book out. And that gives me an opportunity to say, okay, I see that you're interested in this book about, uh, you know, a war that happens. Let's find a great book like The War That Saved Your Life that is about war, but is written for someone your age. Yeah, I, I, my brain went not just from the war that saved my life. Um, it also went um, on the other way to all of those wonderful Nathan Hale graphic novels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but knowing that there, there are authors that are writing books with you at your age in mind that respect you as a reader, but are written more for your age. Hey, so we, we talk about um, this list of banned books and often for banned books week, as Karina and I are talking about on this episode, uh, librarians embrace these books that are oft challenged, challenged and, and, and try to shine a light on this opportunity to read books and to, to, to celebrate um, access to books. So I, I wonder, I, 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 I will tell you off recording what mine is because otherwise I'm going to spoil the next 15 minutes for our listeners. But I wonder if you have a a favorite quote unquote band book. And um, if, if a favorite of yours is a band book, why, why is this book uh, perhaps getting challenged by, by certain um, people? I'm just going to leave it wide open like that. Um, you know, I was looking through ALA's lists of the most recently challenged books. And while I have some favorites there, I would say that the book that was incredibly meaningful me, meaningful to me as a young person that still appears unbanned and challenged book lists are, um, Francesca Leah Block's Weetsy Bat books. And those are books that are 
about deep and sometimes dark subject matter, but written in a really approachable way. They allow, you know, middle schoolers and teenagers to think about dark topics, but with some whimsy and a little bit of magic. Um, In terms of things that have been recently banned, I mean, I I love that I have high schoolers now who are reading um, (laughs) The Handmaid's Tale and who are really excited for the Testaments to come out. And I've also Mm. had some really interesting conversations about two boys kissing because Mm. my students, many of my students, even middle school age students, they they have an understanding or a sense of what the AIDS crisis was about, but that's a book that through that sort of Greek chorus really gets them emotionally involved in that story. And so that's a book that I just think is amazing, bewildering, you know, tear inducing. My favorite thing about librarians is how we can't help ourselves from <laughs> from doing doing that intimate book talk that we do when we're right next to a kid who's holding up a book and considering it. So thank you for sharing that moment with me. I was I felt transported to your library <laughs> holding a copy of Two Boys Kissing in my hands. Thank you. Thank you, Sonali, for the time you set aside to talk to us and and for sharing a glimpse inside your library and what it looks like for a book to be challenged and also what it looks like for a, a librarian to have a process in place to respect readers and also allow space for not every book to be for every reader. I hope that you have a wonderful school year. Thank you. You too. Here's to 2019-2020. Welcome back. This episode of Kidlit These Days is sponsored by Chronicle Books. Earth is in serious trouble. Humans have finally gone too far and wrecked her climate with too much carbon. Fortunately, NNASA, not NASA, has prepared a secret program of four super-powered animal astronauts. Their mission? To find a perfect Goldilocks planet for humans to escape to. Uh, too bad they are a bit glitchy, <laughs> and more astro-nuts than astronauts. Written by children's literature legend John Sheska and illustrated by Steven Weinberg, and passionately narrated by Earth. Astronauts, Mission 1, The Plant Planet, is a scientifically true yet hilarious book. It's also book one in a three-book graphic novel series about climate change. Go check it out. I've started reading it with my nine-year-old, and we have been giggling, goofawing, laughing <laughs> um, through through our read. It is a fun one. So let's get to book talking. And we're going to book talk a little bit differently, a little different focus this time, because a lot of these books are ones we have mentioned at the start of the podcast or ones you have heard before, ones that you uh, probably have in your library or you might have have in your classroom or at your house. Um, But I wonder if these are books that you, listeners, have listened to before. I want to challenge you to read these books, to consider um, why these books have been banned, and to consider what it means for you to include them in your library, include them in your home, include them in your classes, include them in reading with your child or children or readers in your life. So I'll start out with a picture book. 
I want to jump to one that I've shared. Uh, last year I was asked to make a video for School Library Journal on um, Banned Books Week, and I chose three of my favorite queer-centered LGBTQ books. Uh, we can link to that video in the show notes, but the one I want to share is I Am Jazz by Jessica Herthel and Jazz Jennings, illustrated by Sheila McNicholas. This is the story of Jazz Jennings, a trans girl who talks about how in it through her voice, uh, about how, um, her experience as being trans is not so different from an experience of any other child growing up and exploring their identity. Um, I think it's a great book that makes space for others. Uh, I have read it in as young as kindergarten classes, and, um, they have great questions as we read, and the book answers a lot of them and leaves space for the questions that it doesn't answer. I really find this book to be uh, wonderful and uh, one that that brings children into um, being able to talk about the ways that they've entered spaces where they might not feel welcome uh, and how we can, again, make that space to, to welcome everyone. It's called I Am Jazz. And you should check it out. I challenge you. <laughs> I really like that book. All right. So I was, so I'll be talking about middle grade. Um, so the first book is a book that came up in conversation recently because I was reading a new graphic novel that's coming out in January um, with First Second, the publisher. And it's called Go With the Flow. It's by Karen yes. Schneeman and Lily Williams. Karina, I'm, I'm so, I've literally started that too. Yeah, so good. It's so good. Yeah, I read it in one sitting and I loved it so much. Um, anyway, so it's about, it's set in high school, but I believe, I I'm, I'm, I was confident giving it to my sixth grader. Um, I read the whole thing and um, it's a story about four girls. They're sophomores in high school and it's a book about... Uh, their relationship and also centered around periods. And I was talking to someone else um, about this book, and we were talking about how when we were growing up, there was no, like, books didn't, they didn't mention periods ever, except for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret by Judy Bloom. And <laughs> we were just joking around, like, all we know about puberty is through that book because no one else <laughs> talked about, you know, it was just never, it wasn't as common. So anyways, this new graphic novel, I've been talking about it on social media. I just really, really like it. And I gave it to my daughter and she really, really liked it. And I think it's just a great way to sort of normalize puberty and periods and to recognize that you know there are all ages that girls can start their periods there are all different ways girls can experience their periods and it's done totally without shame and I really like that about that book so put that on your list and look for it in January do you remember the tagline for it I have it right in front of me because I told you I'm literally reading it right now the tagline is and it's right on the top corner of the book a friendship story, period. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so good. Like that is a brilliant. It's that's so a brilliant good. line. I just really love that. Ah, uh, yeah. Yay. Good. Yay. 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 All right, All right my next one. Um, I challenge you to pick up a Captain Underpants book and read it. And I think the reason why this book gets challenged a lot, this series gets challenged a lot, is because 
of the potty humor mm. because of maybe the, the the crudeness of of some things of some situations of uh the way that not all adults are are portrayed in a great light in this book but what i love what i've always loved about captain underpants is that it's not written for me it's not written for adults it's written for kids and i love as a librarian witnessing children become readers because of this series because of the confidence they have in in reading books like this and knowing that it's okay to read books like this that is also reading um you can see yourself and your humor in a book uh and so i i challenge people to pick up a captain underpants book and read it and they've all got the greatest alliterative titles ever like the <laughs> perilous plot of professor poopy pants <laughs> Awesome. Uh, so we should Captain spend like people. one episode just reading all the names of the Captain Underpants yeah. series. Um, they've also been going through and um, they've been going back and, and and coloring the books. So they came out black and white. Uh-huh. Um, and just a couple of years ago, they started re-releasing all of the books uh, in full color, which is really That's fun great. to see too. And you know, adults will also love the flipperamas that are iconic of the Captain Underpants hmm. series. <laughs> Well, going back to middle grade, I'd like to talk about Jacqueline Woodson. Um, so speaking of Judy Bloom, which I mentioned in the other book, um, she was putting together an anthology of authors um, who would write short stories, and all those authors would um, be part of this exclusive club of authors who have had their books banned. So Judy Bloom called up Jacqueline Woodson, who um, is one of my all-time favorite authors. She is the author of Brown Girl Dreaming and beautiful picture books like Each Kindness and The Day You Begin. And so Judy Bloom calls up Jacqueline Woodson and says, I'd like you to be part of this anthology. And Jacqueline Woodson says... I'm so flattered, but my books have never been banned. And Judy sort of laughs and says, yes, they have been banned. And so it's so interesting because no one's just going to call up Jackie and say, well, your book's banned here. And I think that's sort of interesting that when um, books are banned, they're sort of done, it's done quietly. And Jacqueline Mm -hmm. Wilson has this really interesting article in the Washington Post she was interviewed for, and I thought I would just read a section of um, what she had said. So she says, I definitely can understand parents having objections. As a mom, as someone who wants to protect my children in any way that I can, I can kind of get inside the heads of people who are saying this is not okay only because they're fearful. That's where I can begin to have the conversation. I think people are willing to talk about anything if you come to it with kindness. But there are all these conversations that I fear are not being had, and as a result, we get banned and challenged. And for Woodson, um, this article said, those conversations involve asking, are you really protecting your child, or are you keeping your child from the tools they'll need to deal with these issues? And I thought that whole article check it out we'll, get, we'll link to it in the show notes but it was very thought-provoking and i thought it was really interesting so anyways read her all of her books she's an amazing writer and um her ya her young adult books are are very very good and as well as of course her picture books and middle grade books so i am going to talk next about 
I'm saving this one for last because it's going to be challenging for me to talk about. So first I'm going to share This Day in June by Gailey Pittman, illustrated by Christina Litton. It's a book, a picture book that was in the top 11, challenged in 2018. And it's about pride parades. It's about pride. It's about June being the month that many pride parades happen because of the anniversary of the Stonewall riots. Um, In this very... uh, uh, limited word book. Um, there's got beautiful rhyming couplets that that follow a parade, uh, a, a, a pride parade, but each spread features a, a different sort of aspect of queerness. And there's a really great uh, section in the back of talking points for parents and caregivers. Um, But I think it's a book that really allows a lot of people to be seen. The irony to me of this book being banned (laughs) is that it comes from its imagination press. It it comes from the uh, APA, the American Psychologist Association. And they, (laughs) they very famously, you know, in the uh, DSMV, (laughs) queerness used to be a, 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 a mental illness and they changed their definition and now are publishing books to to help write that story and this is a wonderful book that that can be a tool for that and yet it's being banned mm. so i feel like it's a great opportunity to look at a book in its entirety from front to back and to look at this book as a resource and and look at the notes to par- parents and caregivers with Headings such as how this book can help talking to children ages three to five years old, talking to children ages six to 12 years old and 13 to 18 years old. Mm. So (laughs) there's there's really a lot of as there is online for other people as well. There are a lot of resources available to you, librarians, parents, teachers, that if you're unsure of, particularly in this case, how to engage children in conversations about uh, identity um, uh, w- or or um, sexual preference or 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 anything in that that sort of LGBTQIA umbrella. There are resources for you, as Jackie Woodson was saying in that article and in other things we've mentioned above uh, earlier in the recording. Um, we don't need to be controlled by our fear. We can use this as an opportunity to shine a light for us, for others, for our children, for our readers. So use books such as This Day in June to shine a light. Let's find the strength in these books because this is a beautifully illustrated book and it works exceptionally for preschool children through high school. You don't get picture books that work that well with that age span, and this one does. So make sure you, listener, have a chance to read this book uh, and 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 see the way that it can be a light for others. Great. Okay, well, we're running out of time, so I will just do one more book. Um, this is the book that I had mentioned earlier, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred D. Taylor. Um, I talk about this book a lot because I just love it so much. Um, There are currently, there's a novella in the series and 
four full-length books, and then there's going to be another book coming out next year called All the Days Past, All the Days to Come. It's coming out on January 7th, and that centers around Cassie Logan, who's the protagonist in Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. And um, the reason I bring this book up is because I was reading a little bit about Mildred Taylor, and she was responding to her book being challenged for language, and this is what she said about it. As a parent, I understand not wanting a child to hear painful words, but as a parent, I do not understand not wanting a child to learn about a history that is part of America, a history about a family representing millions of families that are strong and loving, who remain united and strong despite the obstacles they face. So I thought that was a really powerful statement and a really beautiful way of phrasing it. And I just love Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. And if you haven't read it, pick it up. It's it's really great. That is such a great and powerful quote as well. Yeah. That really speaks to me. The last book I want to talk about um, is something that I think turns our conversation a little bit. Um, and I, I, I want to make sure that we do that. Um, sometimes books are banned or challenged because... Um, the people doing the banning or challenging are afraid of the content or afraid of how it can affect others. Other times books are banned or challenged because their content has become outdated and yet they're still being held up as favorites. This happened recently when the Laura Ingalls Wilder um, Award, the Legacy Award, was challenged at the ALA and changed to the Children's Legacy Award. Mm-hmm. Um the book I want to talk about last is Skippy John Jones, which is the series written and illustrated by Judy Shackner. Um, this is a book that is has been challenged for portraying Mexican stereotypes. And this is a book that I personally um, struggle with because there was an article ages ago in School Library Journal, I think just a little letter to the editor when I was first starting off in library school, um, where someone said they felt like they felt like this book was best-selling, the series was best-selling, but they really struggled with the way that the language and culture was portrayed sort of frivolously. It was sort of... Uh, it, it, it was sort of taken and used at at the the storyteller's leisure, it felt like, in order to just benefit this this character. It didn't feel like it was respecting where it came from, the cultures that it came from. And I have since never been able to read it without seeing those challenges. And yet, I have kept this book in libraries before. I have never bought copies of this book in my library. But I have seen them in libraries. I've seen people check them out in my in my libraries that I have managed. And I have not weeded them. Um, and it's something that when we talk about Banned Books Week, I'm reminded that this is something that I also need to do. We need to look critically at what books are saying to our readers now, how we are able to view them now through what we know. Um, Maya Angelou has that wonderful quote that um, she says, do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. It might be that when we were reading books we just didn't see what we're able to see now. But that doesn't mean that we should let the book stay on the shelves if if 
they are doing harm to a, a portion of our population if they are stereotyping if they are um, painting in a negative light then there's not a reason for those books to stay on the shelf and there is good reason to challenge them and to communicate publicly to parents and readers this is why I am taking this out of our collection we need to be transparent and and not fearful we need to shine a light and so I challenge you listeners to um, to to join me in in not being afraid but to help shine a light because our readers are worth it do you agree Karina our readers are worth it yes I do yeah great well thank you thank you for, for sharing about that for letting us end on that no, I appreciate <laughs> that um, well, this was a really interesting conversation there. I mean, we could probably talk about this for many more hours. I know you and I talked about it before we hopped on the podcast together and there's just so much to explore about it, but hopefully this is, um, just a jumping our uh, jumping off point for all of us to have these conversations and to be honest and open about the books we're reading and the books that are out there in the world. But for now, we have to wrap it up. So thank you for joining us today. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast and always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you also help other people find us. You can find me, Karina Yan Glazer, on Twitter at Karina Yan Glazer and on Instagram at Karina is reading and writing. And you can find me, Matthew Winner, on Twitter at Matthew Winner. I want to say right before we go that the people that have written books that are challenging, we need to not blame them now for the mistakes they made then or for the culture they were writing to then, but rather look to the work they're doing now and trying to do better now. That said, if you have a story idea or a topic for us to focus on, please reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. Our show notes are available at BookRiot.com slash listen, and we would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you'd like to hear next on the show. Until then, may your coming days be storied, and may the good stories keep on coming. <laughs>